0: Amen. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Kings. 2 Kings 12 verses 14 through 16. 2 Kings 12, 4 through 16. Did I say 14 through 16? I got caught up in the teen numbers. 4 through 16. Uh, yeah, kids, head to the kids' table pre-K four, through third grade. Uh, let me remind you, if you need the cry room out in the foyer, that's great. Use it. The TV's on in there, so you can see the service from there, uh, and our nursery is open and active. A Wasted Rebuild. Yeah, I know. I know what that title sounds like, and if you kept up with your reading, you know exactly what it's talking about, but Let's hold on with, to that for just a minute. Let's talk about some celebrations. Uh, we back in January made the decision to transition our accounting back in house. Uh, we we did made that decision in January. We had a temporary uh, situation for that length of time while we looked for someone who was qualified to be both the secretary and the accountant here in the office. Well, we have hired uh, Katie McKnight to do that. She starts tomorrow. Elizabeth will be here through that week to help train her and get her familiar with uh, everything that uh, goes on in the office. We, we interviewed on a particular week, I guess it was two, three weeks ago. Somebody helped me, I can't remember exactly. Um, then on Thursday night, the personnel committee made the decision. Uh, on Friday night, we got confirmation from Katie that she was going to accept the position. And I called Elizabeth to let her know that the the decision had been made and the transition was happening. Uh, hour or two before... I made that phone call hour or two after Chelsea, y'all going to have to help me. It was right around that time that one of the assistant teachers that... Something. Yeah, okay. Uh, called Chelsea and said, oh, for FLC, assistant teachers for FLC called Chelsea and said, oh, I can't teach this year. Well, one of our hopes, our, our plans had been that Elizabeth could move to FLC from the secretary office, and just have a very simple transition there. But but by the time we were able to get the 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 new secretary and accountant, all those positions had been filled. But God, right within hours of learning that the in two actually three weeks that uh, Elizabeth wouldn't be our secretary anymore. She learned she would actually be starting as a uh, an assistant teacher at FLC. So she'll be here this week, and I thought she's going to have a week off of like vacation and playtime. No, Monday, the teachers for FLC, not tomorrow, but next Monday, the FLC teachers report for four days of prep work for them to start teaching the next week. So God provided that wasn't that our lesson last week in Connect Group. God provides, and we saw that happen right here in front of our own eyes. Another celebration. Uh, the second floor of the education building was the only part of our buildings that didn't get some sort of upgrade after the hurricane, uh, at least paint or something. But this last week and the week before, our Leader treks teams that were here painted most of that. There's still some work to do. We're going to work on uh, getting it all finished. But for the most part, that got painted up there. So the entire interior will have uh, something fresh about it. And final celebration that I have is we have a shortage of Connect Group teachers, of, of, of Sunday school teachers. And that's a good thing. What that means is we have more people coming. We have more opportunities. We're having to reorganize a couple of our adult classes so that we can have a younger adult class and a, a middle adult class and an upper middle adult class and an upper upper middle adult class. See what I did there, ladies? I ain't stupid. Um, so we're, we're trying to have some, not, you know, perfectly age graded, but you know, have some affinity, some like life experiences, and we're having to reorganize that. We had to start uh, two of our children's classes back up because we had children of that age beginning to come again, so we've had to, oh no, we got to move this teacher here and this teacher. These are wonderful problems to have. We're excited. Those are celebratory problems. There are some problems that aren't as celebratory. These are problems we celebrate so those are our our celebrations this week let's do our memory verse and y'all I have been working on this verse all week I have never struggled to memorize a verse like I have this one I can't get the rhythm right I can't get the flow right the words that I want to put there aren't there so I am struggling I am admitting that to you right now so when I mess up that's why let's say it together lord god of israel there is no god like you in heaven above or on earth below who keeps the gracious covenant with your servants who walk before you with all their heart second kings eight twenty three. Oh, that's the best i've done it yet i kind of had to listen for the walk i heard somebody go Whoa. oh yes right it's walk before you because i want to say live before you know all sorts of things All right. There's actually a sermon in that, living and walking, that's a different Sunday. Focus on the last bit of that verse, who walk before you with all their hearts. It's important that we remember that as we move through this passage today. Because that's what the passage is talking about. I, I would love to tell you that I knew what this passage was going to be and when it was going to fall and what the topic was going to be. And that I picked that memory verse because of this. But if I told you all that, I'd be lying. This is the Lord working all things for our good. We, we come to this passage, and, and I'll tell you what I was telling some folks this morning. I struggled this week. And and the reason I tell y'all when I struggle to prepare a sermon is because I want y'all to, one, just understand what it's like to prepare a sermon week to week, but I don't want to just share knowledge with you. I don't want you to just leave here knowing more about the Bible than you knew when you came in. That's good, that's important, that's great, actually. But I want you to be able to read the passage for yourself, whatever passage it is, and go through some of the same process that I do. I I want you to not just read the verse and and, and accidentally or intentionally make it say something it doesn't say because you're not reading the rest of the context. It's important that you understand how to read the Bible for yourselves. More than just reading through it, that's good, But to read it and then understand it, and part of understanding is knowing what's going on there, what's the context of the passage, what's going on in my life. There's just just a lot more to it. This is why we disciple. This is why Paul told Timothy, what I'm passing on to you entrust to faithful men so that they can teach others. It's why, because... You can't, the, the message of the Bible is simple. We're sinners, God's perfect, we're condemned, Jesus saves. I mean, the, the message is simple, but, but to just go to the Bible and understand it, no. That, that's why we have teachers. You, you wouldn't be able to just go to it and, oh, well, that, I got that perfectly figured out now. People who have been studying it their entire lives, the same one little passage struggle. All right, so that's, that's why I tell you the process. So this week was a process. I looked at this verse, this, this passage. I knew what it said. It's, it's narrative. So narrative doesn't say, hey, you need to do this. Narrative isn't like poetry where you're getting an image of, of, of something by using different images. It wasn't wisdom scripture, wisdom literature, so that, okay, this is stuff I just commit to memory and understand, and, and, it, and it affects my day-to-day life. It, it wasn't a letter. It's, it, it's not didactic. It's not teaching us. It's, it's not saying, uh, you do this, don't do this. It's, 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 it's telling a story. It's, it's history. So I come to it as, in that way. I read it as history. All right, this, this happened. Great so he, he wanted to repair the temple some folks weren't doing the job he figured out a better way to do it and they did the job and yay joash and and I, I i tumbled it over in my head i tumbled it over in my head and just i couldn't see how this mattered until i remembered something i said two sundays ago see even i forget even i forget what i said and have to be right oh that's right This is a narrative, which means, in most cases, it's part of a longer narrative. And in this particular case, it's part of the narrative I told you about two weeks ago that goes from Joshua to the end of Kings. This is all one unbroken story written while they were in exile in Babylon to, if you remember what I told you, remind them why they were in Babylon in the first place. Some 30 years or so after they were exiled to Babylon, the the chronicler puts all of this together because many of the people who came into exile are dead and gone, and after 30 years, you have people who were born in exile and are now having children in exile who have never been home. And this is to to remind them, so we have to zoom out From this passage and go okay this narrative itself is important but why it's because of the broader narrative and that's how we're going to break it down this morning into the the micro view we're going to look closely at this passage the macro view we're going to pull back into context and then the sulfur view what does it mean to us but first some imagery to get you thinking sewage in a pretty cup is not drinkable Y'all going to agree with me on that one? We put sewage in a very nice, beautiful, You think of your favorite coffee cup. Why is it your favorite? It's from your favorite place to visit, maybe. It's just pretty, or you've got nice stemware at your house because you got it um, as part of your, your wedding set, and you have never used it since, but you've got it. And you can put sewage in there, and it doesn't matter the glass, that's not drinkable. But wait a minute, what if we had a, an expensive and pretty cup? Well, that's, that makes the sewage drinkable, right? It's not just pretty, but I spend a lot of money on the outside. You know, Jesus talks about this, whitewashed tombs, he says. Uh, pretty on the outside, dead men's bones. He actually says a cup. Clean on the outside, but on the inside, it's full of filth. The outside doesn't doesn't affect what's on the inside. It's it's the other way around. I, I, I could I could even say that uh, I, I could pour the sewage out and say, "Well, let's just pour water in there." Well, no, we're going to want to clean that thing up. Similarly, or maybe a, a, a an extrapolation from that is. Partial obedience is disobedience. If you tell your child, go clean up your room, and there's five things that need to be cleaned up in that room, make your bed, pick up your toys, put your dirty clothes away, pull, put all the cups in the uh, kitchen that you've taken up there, and, and all the trash of the candy wrappers, and they make their bed. Have they been obedient, parents? No. They, 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 did, they, they made up their bed. That, that Got to be careful here. They made up their bed. That's all they did. What if I did three of the things? No, I gave you five things to do. Partial obedience is disobedience. So if we understand that, if we understand our, our memory verse, who, who walk in his... Walk before him with all their heart. Thank you, honey. Uh, walk before him with all their heart. All their heart. Not some of their heart. Well, as we come to this passage, we, we, we see a we, 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 little background context. Joash became king of Judah 250 years before the exile into Babylon. 250 years. I know that sounds like a long, long time. But it, it wasn't when we start looking at this. He became king 250 years before the exile, and over that time, over his uh, 40 years of uh, reigning over Judah, he and Israel were only partially obedient. So does that mean they were obedient or disobedient? Well, for going with the sewage in the cup, and the partial obedience is disobedience, and you cleaned up three things but not two, he was disobedient. Well, let's let's see it. Let's let Scripture tell us that instead of just me. Second uh, Kings chapter twelve. Beginning in verse 4, Then Joash said to the priests, All the dedicated silver brought to the Lord's temple, census silver, silver from vows, and all silver voluntarily given for the Lord's temple. Each priest is to take it from his assessor and repair whatever damage is found in the temple. But by the 23rd year of the reign of King Joash, the priests had not repaired the damage to the temple. So King Joash called the priest Jehoiada and the other priests and asked, "Why haven't you repaired the temple? Uh, the temple's damage. Since you haven't, don't take any silver from your assessors. Instead, hand it over for the repair of the temple. So the priests agreed that they would receive no sim- uh, silver from the people and would not be the ones to repair the temple's damage. Then the priest Jehoiada, took a chest, bored a hole in its lid, and set it beside the altar on the right side as one enters the Lord's temple. The priests who guarded the threshold put into the chest all the silver that was brought to the Lord's temple. Whenever they saw there was a large amount of silver in the chest, the king's secretary and the high priest would go bag up and tally the silver found in the Lord's temple. Then they would give the weighed silver to those doing the work, those who oversaw the Lord's temple. They, in turn, would pay it out to those working on the Lord's temple, the carpenters, the builders, the masons, and the stone cutters, and would use it to buy timber and quarried stone to repair the damage to the Lord's temple and for all expenses for temple repairs. However, no silver bowls, wick trimmers, sprinkling basins, trumpets, or any articles of gold or silver were made for the Lord's temple from the contributions brought to the Lord's temple. Instead, it was given to those doing the work, and they repaired the Lord's temple with it. No accounting was required from the men who received the silver to pay those doing the work, since they worked with integrity. The silver from the guilt offering and the sin offering was not brought to the Lord's temple, since it belonged to the priests. Now, if you didn't read this passage this week, and this is the first time you're hearing it, maybe you can understand why I struggled with, what am I going to preach here? There's a lot here, there are a lot of principles here that, that we could pull out. I, I have a friend in Arkansas who, who uh, their church does the same thing we do. They, have, they use Explore the Bible in their Connect groups, and he preaches the passage uh, for that Sunday from Explore the Bible. And I asked him yesterday, I messaged him on Facebook said, Hey, what are you doing with, uh, with the passage this week? here's my outline, here's what I've done, and he sent me back his. And, and, and we both focus on the text. The text says what the text says. But in our two contexts, the application is different. He is talking about uh, uh, church structure. He's talking about accountability, and, and uh, they're in the middle of, of raising funds for a building. So it, that passage fell at a great time for him. And it it was interesting to hear his message and go, well, yeah, absolutely, that's an application of that passage. Then the Connect group this morning has a different application. It it focuses on a smaller part of the passage, pulls out some uh, specific points, and, and has a different thematic application. And that's okay, too. And then this morning for us, I believe we have what God is saying to our church but let's look at the micro view first. What is this passage saying? The micro view could also be the, the uh, setting of the passage. What, would have, what was the author's intent in recording this? And what would the people at the time of reading understood? What, what would have gone through their heads as they read this passage or had it read to them? Well, first, with a little background context, we see that there have been years of neglect and idolatry. The temple at this point, I think I read somewhere, is about 125 years old. So it's an old building. We know what that's like. And it had just fallen into disrepair. But not just disrepair. Jehoram, his son, Ahaziah, his wife, Athaliah, who was Ahab's daughter, from the northern kingdom, we, we got issues, major problems here. They had all brought idolatry in to, um, to Jerusalem. And I, I, I went back and looked, and I couldn't find this, but I, I, I will say with hesitancy, I think I read that they had actually set up Baal worship in the temple. Now, I know that somewhere it, there had, they had set up Baal worship. I'm positive of that. But I thought I read somewhere that it was in the temple. Don't hold me to that one. Regardless, they, idolatry had taken over. And this was, this was common to Israel, the children of Israel, from the moment they stepped foot in the promised land. That was why they were told, wipe everybody out. Don't take wives and, and spouses when you get there from those people. They are going to turn your hearts away. And we see it instantly, we see it with Solomon, that when he married foreign wives, they turned his heart to other gods. The people did the same thing, they they took the cultures and the customs from around them instead of following the Lord. And it was this constant struggle to stay faithful to God, and it was a declining struggle. So these years of neglect gone on for a long time. And then we get to uh, chapter 12. Joash becomes king when he is seven years old. Uh, Jehoiada, we learn, has hidden him. His, uh, his grandmother, uh, uh, Athalia. right? Am I right when saying it was his grandmother? Now, for. Okay, his grandmother killed all of his brothers and sisters when uh, killed the whole family when his daddy died, so that nobody else could be on the throne, but but her uh, relatives. It was it was a whole big mess. You know, we had we've been having trouble with Grandmama for a while here. Uh, This is just another Grandmama with some issues. Grandmamas are wonderful, but man. They had some tigers in the uh, Old Testament. Anyway, so she does this. Jehoiada hides Joash and raises him to follow the Lord. Jehoiada is a good man, a good priest, a follower of the Lord. Raises him to do that. They they make a big show of presenting him. Uh, They they kill Athaliah. it's, It's still a whole big mess. And Joash starts great. And and we see in verses 4 and 5 that Joash has a desire to be better. He's he's following Jehoiada. He's doing what Jehoiada says. And we don't know when he uh, said to the priests to to repair the temple. It probably wasn't when he was seven. It was probably as he got to be uh, older, uh, an adult, uh, you know, late teens, early 20s, that he made this decision and said, Let's do this. He really wants to be what Jehoiada has raised him to be. And one of the things he knows is how important the temple is to worship. They've been told to take care of the temple. It is part of what God set up for his Old Testament people. The temple was vital to worship. So he let them know and told them, You take care of it in this way. And they hadn't. So Joash is doing the thing he needs to do. He's he's doing the repairs. He's doing the remodel. He wants to be better. So he sets it up. He tells the priests, hey, y'all take some money and you do this. Well, verses 6 through 8 show us some poor leadership. They didn't do what they were told to do. The the priests, for whatever reason... uh, for any number of years, we don't know. The, 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 the way this reads, it sounds like he set it up when he was seven, and for 23 years they didn't repair the temple. That's, it's just given us when he changed, when he said, hey, y'all haven't repaired the temple. It doesn't tell us when he told them to repair the temple. It could have been a year, it could have been 20 years, it could have been 50, we don't know. But in his 23rd year, he says, look guys, I told y'all to repair the temple power long ago, and you haven't done it. The, 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 the leadership has not been good over those years. So he, he calls them together. It says in verse 7, he calls Jehoiada. Now, let's, let's stop here for just a second at Jehoiada. Jehoiada has followed the Lord faithfully. He's raised Joash to follow the Lord. He is a counselor to the king. He, he uh, has influence over the king. And yet, when the king said, hey, guys, let's fix the temple, Jehoiada doesn't. Why? We're, we're not told. He's old, we know that, because he dies in just a few years at 130. So that's going to slow you down, right? But I'm thinking the rest of the priests weren't that old. We don't know why. Jehoiada doesn't follow through with his king's command. But he doesn't, and the priests don't. And they don't do the repairs that were necessary. So, Joash mixes things up. Now, we could get into all the different offerings that he's talking about and where the silver is coming from and who got paid and who didn't get paid, and those are some interesting things to go look up if you want to. I don't think they have a lot of effect on us right now today for the direction we're going. What we do see is that the leaders had a responsibility, and they didn't fulfill their responsibility, so there was leadership change. And the priests agreed, verse 8, that they would receive no silver from the people and would not be the ones to repair the temple's damage. So, their, their source of income was changed they didn't suddenly not get paid but the source of income was changed and their roles were changed they had different leadership roles from then on these executive changes these structural changes that joash makes last now all the way through the um, the exile so these they last over 300 years when he changes this it's a very permanent change But it was a necessary change because of what was going on. So he makes these changes. They they set up a different way to do it. And verses 8 through 16 tell us, uh, uh, sorry, 9 through 16, that should say, tell us all about that. They took a chest, they bored a hole, they they had special offerings is what they did for a particular purpose, and the people showed up. As we read through, we see they're having to empty the chest regularly, and they're able to get the work done, they're paying the folks uh, that are doing the work, and over time, the temple is repaired. The the king and the the king's secretary and the high priest, and they're, they're all involved in it. Everyone is doing their job. Everyone is uh, responsible to to their position. They're members of the body. All doing the 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 uh, things that they were put in place for. Verse 13 tells us that they, they didn't even use what was coming in to make new utensils, new, new accoutrements for the, the, the temple worship. They were just focused on repairing everything else first. It tells us the people that were doing it were responsible, that no accounting was required because they were honest people who worked with integrity. And the last verse, verse 16, the silver from guilt offerings and the sin offering wasn't brought to the temple. Those were the priests. See, they still got, they still had their job, they still got their salary, but they, the responsibility for other things were removed. They had the best of intentions. They determined to repair the temple, and they did. Because the, the, the temple, let me say it again, the temple was vital to worship. That is where the Spirit of God rested, in the Holy of Holies, on the Ark of the Covenant. When you went to the temple, you knew you knew God was everywhere, but you knew when you went to the temple, He's right in there. His, his Spirit is right in there. He is everywhere, but the glory has fallen on the Ark. It's right in there. We gotta keep this place up. That's the micro view. And our connect group lesson stopped at that verse, verse 16. And as far as the temple is concerned, we stop there, except for a little bit later when somebody attacks and Joaz takes all the the money, all the silver and gold. That was in the uh, the consecrated items in the temple, and or in the uh, yeah in the temple in the treasuries in his palace, and he pays off the king of Aram to keep him from uh, attacking. But that's just the micro view. Now's where we have to zoom out a little bit and say what's going on in the macro view. And Second Chronicles will help us with that a great deal. Kings is the historical record, and we see God show up. We see God intervene. But it's just recording, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm oversimplifying here, but it's, over, it's recording how God shows up in history. When you go to Chronicles, the view is a little different. It's, it's history but it's more history as it is controlled by God. Hear the difference? History and kings and God shows up. I mean, there are miracles, there's God's sovereignty, it's in there, it's it's not completely devoid of that. But when you go to Chronicles, it is very clearly God did this because this happened, and God allowed this to happen because this had been done, and God brought this about because the people did this. It's, It's much more... Theocentric, God centric than Kings is. And that's where we go to see the macro view. So turn to 2 Chronicles 24. Um, It's about uh, 100 pages in your Bible, there, give or take. Turn right. 2 Chronicles chapter 24, and we get more details. We, We get more God details. And we see in verse 24, I'm sorry, chapter 24, verse 13, something that it didn't tell us in Kings. We end in Kings talking about the temple by telling us that the the workers were, were honest and the priests still got paid. But in verse 13, verses 13 and 14 of 2 Chronicles 24, it says the workmen did their work. And through them, the repairs progressed. They restored God's temple to its specifications and reinforced it. When they finished, they presented the rest of the silver to the king and Jehoiada, who made articles for the Lord's temple with it. All those accoutrements that I was talking about, the snuffers and, and all that, and candlesticks and all that stuff. Uh, they, they, they made the articles for the Lord's temple with it, articles for ministry and for making burnt offerings. And ladles and articles of gold and silver. They regularly offered burnt offerings in the Lord's temple throughout Jehoiada's life. That little phrase, throughout Jehoiada's life, now this is the second time it's shown up. I don't think we read it the first time in the beginning of chapter 12, but we're going to go back to it in just a little bit. The temple's renewed, it's repaired. Not only did the temple get repaired, the, the, the walls got put back up in fresh paint, and they reinforced it, so they brought some things up to code. They also got new lights and new sound system, new instruments, they got all sorts. The whole thing got redone. And they came and they worshiped, and burnt offerings were brought there. And everything looks good throughout. Jehoiada's life they have a renewed temple in the micro view but in the macro view we find out it's only partial obedience we can go back if you kept your finger at second Kings 12 you don't have to go back there I'll just read it verse 2 tells us of Joash he became king he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His, uh, uh, I'm sorry, throughout the time, here we go. Throughout the time the priest Jehoiada instructed him, Joash did what, what was right in the Lord's sight. Throughout, I'll condense it just a little bit. Throughout Jehoiada's life, chapter 12, verse 2, Joash did what was right. Uh, 2 Chronicles 24, throughout Jehoiada's life, they offered burnt offerings. Throughout Jehoiada's life. That means there was a beginning and there was an end. That means there was partial obedience. Well, we, we see it again in Verse 15 of chapter 24 in 2 Chronicles. Jehoiada died when he was old and full of days. He was 130 years old at his death. He was buried in the city of David with the kings. Y'all, he was honored. He was important. People knew this man followed God because he had done what was good in Israel with respect to God and his temple. Verse 17, however... After Jehoiada died, the rulers of Judah came and paid homage to the king. Then the king listened to them, and they abandoned the temple of the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and served the Asherah poles and the idols. So there was wrath against Judah and Jerusalem for this guilt of theirs." partial obedience. The temple was fixed. They had everything they were supposed to have according to the specifications, right? It says that according to its specifications and they reinforced it. They went above and beyond and then they had money left over to do all the other things that they needed to do for the temple. And while Jehoiada lived, they worshiped. They brought offerings to the temple like they were supposed to. But when Jehoiada died, And the leaders of Judah came to Joash. They got away. They served Asherah poles. They abandoned the temple of the Lord. Rebuilding the temple, repairing the temple was great. It was important. It was required. It was necessary. But that was only part of the job, that was only part of the obedience. The other part of the obedience that was, with, was that when Jehoiada died, they continued to bring burnt offerings to the temple. When Jehoiada died, Joash continued to be faithful to the Lord. But that's not what happened. They didn't end well. Their obedience was partial. And then... We see what I think is the most, one of the most damning verses in, the, in Scripture, certainly in the Kings and Chronicles, verse 19. Nevertheless, he, being God, sent them prophets to bring them back to the Lord. They admonished them, the prophets admonished the people, but the people would not listen. They got away. They were partially obedient. They did the right things. They took some great steps, but they stopped. They didn't go as far as they should have. We've had some great conversations about this passage. Uh, Some of the conversations have been and rightfully so, we've got these kings. Go back and read it again. Again, King so-and-so did what was right in the sight of the Lord. However, he didn't tear down the high places, and worship still happened there. The kings went to a certain point and stopped, and then the people took the, the, the further steps. There's no point where we can stop. It gets tiring. It gets old after a while. It gets old hearing the same sermons, right? Oh, we're not doing enough. I've been told that. All I hear is we're not doing enough. Y'all know the joke about the preacher who got up and preached a sermon one Sunday. The next Sunday he preached the same sermon the next Sunday, he preached the same sermon. The fourth Sunday, he preached the same sermon. The deacons had a meeting. And they called the preacher to it. That was nice of them. He said, Preacher, you've d- you preached the same sermon four weeks in a row. He said, Yeah, I have. When are you going to preach something new? And he said, When y'all start doing this one. I'll preach the next one. It gets old constantly. Can you imagine reading through Joshua to Second Kings? Hopefully we've done that. And Joshua, they come and they take over the... The promised land, but they didn't take all over all of it and they didn't take out these people. They didn't do this and we get to judges and the people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and the people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and the people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and it just gets worse and worse and worse until we get to the end of the judges and they're chopping up people and sending parts of them around the uh, country and those are the Levites, the church people, chopping up people and sending them around the country. Not even going to talk about who the person was just for sensitivity's sake. And we get a king, and it's Saul, and pfft, he wasn't any good. And we get a king, and it's David, Bathsheba. And now we've got Solomon, he's wise, he's got 700 wives, uh-oh. And further and further and further and further they descend. And you've got to expect the people that were sitting in Babylon, 25, 30 years old, never been a part of it. They're looking at this going, do you have any good news for me? Is there a happy ending to this story? You you got one of those stories that, you know, I don't know, makes people laugh, not this? I can just see the author going, this is where we are, folks. We're in exile because of this. All God wants is obedience, but not partial obedience. Michael, I'm not perfect. Neither is Michael. We're not going to always get it right. But that doesn't mean we stop striving for it. And that's what we need to see here. This was the partial obedience. That they went to a point and stopped. We're good. We fixed the temple. Everything's fine. No. You've got a pretty cup. You've got an expensive cup. But you're still filling it up with sewage. It's what Jesus was telling the... Uh, The Pharisees, the people who enforced the law, you're a pretty cup, you're nasty inside. We see a continued descent to destruction because in 250 years, the temple's going to be torn down. It's going to be gone, not just in disrepair. And it's going to happen again. Yeah in 70 A.D. One more time. So that's the macro view. The sulfur view. And y'all are going, Michael, Michael, Michael. I got news for you. Michael's going, Michael, Michael, Michael. We can fix buildings after a hurricane. (laughs) I mean, well... Maybe not the next one, you know we got the whole insurance thing, um, but we, we can we can do that we can we did. I think the sanctuary's beautiful. I think what we have gotten we, I, I got to hear somebody telling somebody else about our sound system how incredible our sound system is. I thought it was, but i don 't know anything about them It is the, the, we have we we're blessed by God to be able to spend five and a half million dollars of somebody else's money to redo our entire campus. And we can do that. We can rebuild after a hurricane. We can rally financially to support our ministries. We can hit a slump in our giving and then we can come back the next month and we can pay for everything and do more. And we can see our budget, our our, our income just take off. We could have all the money. We could pile up gold and silver in storerooms to use the analogy or the picture of the temple. We can do all of those things, and it will be good, and it will be great if we can. But if there is no heart and life change through discipleship among our people, if we are not growing and going, as our t-shirt says if we allow lies and gossip and slander to, and, and disunity to enter into our ranks and create disfellowship among our fellowship, if, if we have only a lukewarm, at best, faith. I read an article today, or yesterday, and I don't think I ever shared it on Facebook. I, I intended to, but I think I lost it, about a preacher who got in trouble for preaching how a church member can go to hell how we can be baptized, sit in pews, do do the things, and never be saved. We can have a lukewarm, at best, faith and come here every Sunday faithfully. And if we only have intermittent and uncommitted involvement in our church, if there is no heart and life change through discipleship, we're not preventing destruction, we're merely putting it off. Joash and his priests had a wasted rebuild. Because 250 years later, the temple was torn down by the Babylonians. And they came back after the exile when the Persians took over. They were sent back, hey, go back, here's some money, rebuild your temple. And they rebuilt this pidlin, I'll use that word, little temple, So much so that there were a few people that still remembered the old temple. It had been a while, so these are some old folks. They remembered the old temple, and when they saw the new one, they cried. Because it was so much less than what had been. Herod comes along and you know a few years before Jesus is born and he does it he does it right they get a finally they got a nice temple again and 70 80 years later it's torn down worse than the first time it's all about who we are we can have the nicest facilities or we can have no facilities What matters is who we are. Are we following God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Are we fully obedient? Not perfect. But if God says do and we don't, we repent of the don't and we do. If God says don't and we do, we repent of the do and we don't. Right? Right? we change when, when he says change. We we fix when he says fix. We repent when he says repent. The problem is when he says do and we don't and we never do. Or if he says don't and we do and we continue to always do. Do we practice sin or do we repent of sin? Nothing that God does is ever really wasted. So I don't believe that the temple repairs were fully wasted. I think if for no other reason, we have this passage now that as a church, us and not just us, countless churches across our country, come to and see, and they can say to themselves, I've got to be more like Jesus, or I'm on a path to destruction. Revelation 2 and 3. The letters to the churches. Churches that were getting warnings. Be careful. Be careful that I don't remove your lampstand. Churches that today don't exist. Because they left their first love. It was partial obedience. What is our first love? That's told to the uh, Ephesus church. You've left your first love, and there's debate over exactly what that means when he says you've left your first love. But ultimately, our first love as believers is Jesus. That's who we follow. That's who we obey. That's who we model our lives after. Have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Forget about temples for a minute and sanctuaries and and anything else. All the accoutrements that go with a church. Those don't matter. I'm not asking if you've joined a church, if you give to your church. I'm not asking if you go to a Bible study. I'm not asking how faithful you are in attending or serving. I'm asking, have you ever trusted Jesus Christ as Savior? I'm not asking if you've been baptized. I'm asking if you have ever trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. In that article I read about how you can be a church member and still go to hell, he talked about a 67-year-old woman who came forward in the midst of this sermon series he was preaching. By the way, the deacons got mad about it. But this 67 year old woman came forward and accepted Christ because she said when she was 12 years old, her mother made her come forward, sit on that chair until she joined the church. So she joined the church and she got baptized. Never trusted Christ, never made a heart change. Got dumped, been a part of the church. What's 67 minus 12? I think that's 55. 55 years she thought, I'm a member of the church, I'm good. I went down front, I got baptized, I'm good. The rest of that story, the deacons got mad at the pastor, the church got mad at her. And she eventually left the church because they made her feel so bad for accepting Christ. Now, am I saying, First Baptist Sulphur, that's where we... Absolutely not. No, I'm telling you, this is what can be. This week is a warning passage. This is not me saying, First Baptist Sulphur, we have wasted a rebuild. Please don't go out and tell people that. And if you're watching now, you've got me say That's not what I'm saying. It is a warning, though. What are we going to be? We said when we were in the gym and we saw this happening, saw this, we cannot waste this. God is giving us a five, hundred, a five and a half million dollar remodel for his glory and his purpose. We cannot waste a moment of this. There are people dying and going to hell every day, and we, First Baptist Sulphur, have the message of grace that will save them. Will we share that message? Will we use the gifts that God has given us, people and stuff, to reach our community. Will we be fully obedient or merely partially obedient and therefore disobedient? By the way, you can't be half saved. You can't be partially obedient when it comes to Christ, when it comes to accepting Christ. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. We... Have to fully accept him. I can't say, yeah, Jesus, you're mine a little bit occasionally sometimes on Sunday maybe. No, no. Full acceptance. Life down on the altar. Buried with him in death. And raised to walk in the newness of life. It's why we put you under the water and don't sprinkle water on you. You are dead and now you're new. You're a new creation. You're not what you were. You're Jesus's. Have you done that? If you haven't, we're going to have an opportunity and I know I've gone a little longer than usual this morning. And I apologize for that. You're going to have an opportunity to take that next step. For some of you, that next step is going to be accepting Jesus as your Savior. Salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And it is as simple as a heart turn. It is as simple as a statement on your behalf to the Lord. I cannot save myself. I know I'm a sinner. Lord Jesus, save me. Then that is followed by bapti- baptism. Baptism. That is followed by becoming a church member. That is followed by the Holy Spirit conforming your life to Christ. Now, some of you may be somewhere in that line, and you need to take some steps in that direction too. Submit to God's plan and purpose to conform your life to His, to join our church, or whatever it might be. I'm going to be down here on the front uh, to my right. Uh, Chelsea will be here to the left. One of our deacons, Kirk, will be in the back um, and Justin may be somewhere, I'm not sure. Uh, he's usually out in the foyer. If you want somebody to pray with you, if you would like to know, how do I accept Christ again? He kind of went fast there at the end because he had preached too long already and he was trying to finish in a hurry. How, how do I do that? We would love to talk to you about that. Maybe you just need to pray about how you can conform your life to Christ or how you need to to submit to God. We we'll would love to pray with you. Whatever your decision is this morning, we're going to pray as soon as i'm done praying you start coming forward maybe you just want to pray here at this stage you don't need one of us that's fine all you need is you and god but we're going to have that time in just a minute would you pray with me father i pray that nothing that you do in our life would be wasted i i know that you use whatever you do for your glory and for your purpose no matter how it affects us how it changes us but I pray that we would not waste what you've done in our lives. God, hurricanes and pandemics were a beautiful tragedy. They were tragic, and they, they ruined some lives, and, and they messed up things. And, but Lord, in your providence and for your glory, you can say these are opportunities for us as a church. And that's the beautiful part. That you can take the worst of things and make good from them. Lord, we pray we do not waste that. And God, the way we don't waste it is to be obedient to you. So we need your Holy Spirit to speak to us about how we need to be obedient. Not partially obedient, but fully obedient. Lord, when we are disobedient, chasten and correct and disciple and discipline us so that we get back on the right path. And I pray, Lord, that we will. We will not continue in disobedience like Israel did, like Judah did, and see their destruction and have to look back, boy, why did this happen? But, Lord, we would respond to your word, to your calling, to your leading, to your guidance, to your commands, and we would be obedient to you. Work in our hearts this morning. As we sing, as we pray, as we worship, as we hear from you, in Jesus' name, amen. So let's stand, let's sing, and let God work on your heart this morning.